Okay, so we are back to Cracks in Postmodernity with Billy McMorris, who is a contributing editor at The Spectator. Welcome. We're very happy to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. So I discovered you through a recent article about Biden and the jewel ban. But as I went through the rest of your articles, I saw you had some really fascinating hot takes on smoking in general. So I want to start from the beginning. Um, one of your earlier articles was about when they raised the smoking age to 21. I will say I was 20 when they raised the age in Manhattan, in New York, and they were still selling cigs to me, even though they raised the age. Heroes. So yeah, I mean, real good Samaritans. So I got by lucky, um, but I know there are many people suffering because of this. But tell us a little bit about this article. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote some stuff you said, but you just give us a little summary for those who haven't read it yet. Well, so uh, D Donald Trump, uh, upon his exit from office, uh, decided that he would thank his supporters. And one of his uh, last lame duck acts was to sign legislation sponsored by Mitch McConnell and Tim Gaines, both of them from tobacco states, uh, Kentucky and Virginia, respectively, uh, raising the cigarette smoking age to 21. Now, a, a lot of states had actually done this before, but with exemptions for active duty soldiers and the like. And what they did was they decided to codify um, the most progressive smoking ages in the country. I think Hawaii was the first one to do it, uh, much the same way that Nancy Pelosi wants to codify Roe. Uh, and they, they always say that, you know, it took Nixon to open up China. It took a Republican like Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, who was famously uh, a teetotaling never smoker, um, to raise the cigarette smoking age to 21. And much like opening up China, uh, this has been a disaster for America's youth, for America's working class. It was uh, Trump is fond of saying, you know, on the campaign trail, I, I like stupid people. I, li I like the high school dropouts and the welders and the union men. And who does he think these people are? They are smokers. Um, so I, I can only view why? this through a punitive lens. But why is he a teetotaling non-smoker? Like, what's his problem with smoking? I would think he would have enjoyed a cigarette every now and then. <laughs> well, see, I, the, the teetotaling bit was because he had an alcoholic brother. Uh, I've, I've never understood the, the, the never smoking thing, except, you know, it, it is something that the billionaire class does have in common. These are people who have all the money in the world and they all want to live forever so that they can enjoy their riches. Mm -hmm. So why would they want to lessen their time on earth? Uh, I, I counter that with saying, why eat salmon? Why did you become a billionaire just to eat salmon instead of steak? And this is also what the billionaire class enjoys spending their time on. They like herbal supplements and salmon, mm. and they think that the plebes of the world do not uh, need tobacco to get them through. They just need uh, you know, a Facebook page and a bunch of opioids, and they'll be happy. Mm. So anything, yeah, like you definitely see the class divide implicated in this whole issue. And I'm gonna read one of the quotes from the article. So you say, elites are suspicious of any child who does something as common as puff a cigarette or take a sip of beer because studies, and there are always studies, show smoking requires workers to leave their desk and alcohol can hurt productivity. Um, and then those same moralizers are wide open to the idea of psychedelics. If the drugs can improve your ability to program a computer, particularly if that program can convert laborers into gig workers or better robots. So you definitely see how, um, there's uh, an economic interest. In Absolutely, I, I don't remember writing that. that. That's really smart. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think <laughs> it's just, just, that's a, but but no, it's 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 absolutely 
absolutely true. Uh, and you know, you, you have um, you have philosophers like Lutwak or Lutwak. I, I never. Uh, I'm, I'm a reader. I'm not a, a listener. Mm-hmm. Um, who have posited that the reason we have a, a geriatric crumbling republic is because we elect senile leaders and tobacco, which is uh, and nicotine in particular, have shown to improve IQs of their users, uh, and they also help to kill them off before they become senile, feeble old men and old women. Uh, I'm, a, I'm progressive. I, I recognize that Nancy Pelosi is older than Joe Biden and the leader. Um, so this is one of those things where you increase productivity, but when you increase longevity for longevity's sake, you're going to end up with a bunch of doddering billionaires who will bring about the demise of the Republic. Personally, I, I would take the auto mechanic who smokes while he changes my engine oil. Uh, over one of these people. And just to get philosophical for a second, I think it's interesting that this mentality of productivity um, that really wants to turn us into robots um, is so threatened by cigarette smoking because there is a contemplative kind of dimension to the experience, especially if you do it like in between working while taking breaks. Like it makes you really think about like, what is the purpose of my work? What, is, what of the finitude of my existence? Um, you know, the labor that I do for what to eventually die, like it really makes you look at life, it makes you look at the desire for pleasure in the midst of work for distraction. Um, and again, like, it's not just that taking a break is a threat to productivity, it's the contemplation of the meaning of work on that existential level. The pros- oh, absolutely, you know, to corporate power to whoever. So, so this is a hundred percent true. Uh, I, I actually wrote about this in my, my follow-up piece to the the jewel piece was why corporations are so interested in abortion, and it is the same reason that corporations don't like you smoking on their grounds. It's the same reason that corporations uh, don't want you going out for lunch. They will happily bring in an in-house chef yep. who will cook your food there in a cafeteria setting to keep you in loco parentis on the corporate corporate campus. And that's what's so, so funny about our quote unquote rebellious, you know, break stuff, Silicon Valley mentality is these guys leave a college campus saying that bringing it back in local parentis would be just a total infringement of their freedom. And then they get to the corporate work environment and they put in 90 hour weeks because there's a food truck and a bocce ball tournament and the corporation calls itself family. Uh, so long as they can stage an intervention if you smoke a cigarette. Um, yeah. that, might make, that might start making you think about starting a real family. Uh, who knows? Mm, which is very threatening. Um, and it's funny how you juxtapose. He says it, it can get you in trouble with the bureaucrats and administrators and parents, but not your priest who knows better. So again, it's like there is this transcendent dimension to the experience of smoking that is a threat to, I guess, this idolatry of earthly power, of money, of the market, of whatever you want to call it. And of course, all good priests smoke. So <laughs> of course. I mean, how else are they going to pass the time? They're on campuses that allow smoking. Duke University doesn't allow smoking. One of the worst theology departments in the country. Yeah, it adds up. And they also Franciscan does. I said, I bet you. I, I actually, uh, I should have fact checked that before. Yeah, I know Benedictine College does not allow it, which to me is very shocking. Well, maybe they'll listen to this and. Um, oh yeah, funny. Exactly. You know, there's no better lesson of memento mori than. Exactly. It's very Benedictine. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, who was it? There was a Pope who said that he would not be able to live chastity without cigarettes. 
That's, that's amazing. <laughs> you'll, you will have to, you'll have to tell me this. Yeah, chastity sticks, in addition to being cancer sticks. Um, but yeah, so just back to the whole age thing, I do want to talk about like young people and smoking because I'm seeing now that people under 21 think that cigarettes are absolutely disgusting and evil. So like, yeah, like morally evil, but just like the whole tobacco thing is like repulsive to them. And that like weed is the healthy alternative because you don't get cancer and it's, you know, relaxes you, it calms you down. And I think it just shows how much the youth culture has changed over the last, what, 20 years. That like weed, which sure does not have as many adverse effects on the body, but like- well, that, that, that we know of. I, I mean, the, the thing is, if I, if I ground up coffee beans and put it into a pipe and set fire to it, the, the ignition yeah. is going to cause me personally lung troubles. Um, we have no idea if weed is going to uh, scale the way tobacco did. And that is, mm -hmm. that, that's one of those great misleading things that the tobacco puritanism occurred at the same time as the weed liberalization. So it, it is one of, <clears throat> it is one of those interesting dichotomies that an emperor has no closed situation where it's like, you've assured us that weed in which you light something on fire and breathe it in, um, has no long-term effects aside from schizophrenia. Whereas if we're talking about neuro neurological disorders, uh, nicotine is actually uh, a wonder drug for your brain. It's actually one of the, uh, the there's a big campaign to uh, in the medical community to take it off the scheduled poison list so that we can explore uh, it as a possible cure for dementia uh, because it speeds up blood flow to the brain, which I mean, I'm, I'm no scientist. I majored in history uh, and government. Uh, so kids don't do either of those things. Major in something worthwhile like philosophy. <laughs> um, but but in, in terms of, you know, the, the growth of weed culture, it's it's literally because our elites accept weed. They, they claim that weed is responsible and acid are responsible for the computer and all of these modern marvels. Uh, what, what they don't acknowledge and what Lootwalk does as you take a pull of your vaporizer, yeah. is that um, the, the industrial revolution occurred precisely in those countries that started importing and adopting en masse tobacco use. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like there was a, a, a brain um, infusion that came with this little stick right here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a, uh, but you know, that's contingent on being able to leave your desk. And I think there is, again, like there's this spiritual existential dimension because nicotine incites desire and inflames it, whereas weed really sedates it or like disconnects you from it. And I think there is, um, I, on one hand, the anti-cigarette mentality does push this productivity kind of thing, but also pushes a total like apathy about anything, like takes away your drive to accomplish something in a, in a true sense, to build something meaningful. Whereas I think all passionate people who wanted to create something of their life, create something for society, I mean, not all of them, but most people smoke cigarettes and there's a real connection there. Whereas weed like makes you be like, oh, whatever. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to put anybody down, um, but, the, but the depressant aspect of, of marijuana, I'm not gonna pretend that my vice is, you know, uh, some, panacea but the weed advocates do pretend that their drug 
is a panacea. They insist it's going to fix everything from pain management to, um, to what, what was okay, but you know, pain management and oh, glaucoma and oh, it's it's great for cancer patients, and they never they never, and this represents uh, re reflects America's um, Puritan culture rather than the Catholic one. They never acknowledge that there's a trade-off. Like yeah. hey, you know, the, there's also this thing called schizophrenia, which it seems to exacerbate. Yeah. Um, wh whereas if you've ever met schizophrenics, uh, they love tobacco because tobacco grounds them. Exactly, and weed removes you from reality. And, and, and that's the thing, weed is mind-altering. We're fine with mind-altering. We yeah. abhor contemplation. Yeah, like there can't be an integration between the body, reality, the spirit, like it's, everything has to become disconnected. And yeah, like that is the kind of Puritan anthropology, this disconnect between body and soul. Um, but yeah, no, I was also gonna say that all the potheads that I knew in college really had no yeah like no drive to do to pursue anything and again that's i don't want to make a generalization about every single pothead but that seems to be the trend like you're just you're chill like life is whatever you just float on through um and the one the people who would go outside the dorms to smoke were like the weird moody artists who like yeah they were weird but they had some there was some search going on there was some tension in their life which made them more interesting you know but my grandma, when I started smoking, uh, said that she said, you should be thankful for the smoking bands that'll help you identify who the interesting people are. Mm, that's that's wise. That is a uh, very wise. Mm. My and inheritance from her was uh, 10 cartons of uh, Kent Gold Light 100s. Wow. I think I was, I think I was the only non septuagenarian smoking those um, when I was in college. Do you have, are those Marlboro special blends you have right now? They are. Do you want one? Actually, I'll take one virtually. <laughs> I, I've had, I don't think I've ever bought a full pack of them. I borrowed some. They're pretty good. I smoked reds for a while, but then they made me feel like I had cancer at least. So to lay off. See, I, I, I was reds and then my, uh, my first daughter was born. I went to mediums and then uh, special ones came out. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm on the vegan cigarette. American spirits, all natural. Okay, see that—that's a fine thing. Yeah, you know, that—that's something that comes from the ground. The vaporizers are made from Chinese antifreeze. Yep. So you might as well—you <laughs> might as well be vaping fentanyl. Yeah, I go between either extreme, either the vape or the American spirits. But I taste the additives though. If I have a Marlboro, like my mouth gets all weird. Yeah, I can't—I can't do it anymore. One or the other, either all chemical or all natural. <laughs> there you go. See, I, I'm a, I'm a balanced individual. Yes. <laughs> so, so now back to the age. What I remember when I was in high school, that's like, well, even before high school, they were drilling it in our heads that like smoking is evil. Smokers are losers. Um, we should look down on them. We should feel bad for them. It was still kind of cool to go out and smoke like in the middle, like during lunch or after school, like we still kind of revered them, but there was still a sense of like, oh, but they are like, those kids are really sad because they're like, you know, depressed and whatever. But now like it's, at least from what I hear from kids, it's like, oh yeah, they smoke. They're a real loser. And I'm like, no, they're kind of cool. Yeah, that's it. Smoking will never be not cool. Um, everybody knows this. That's why we had to invent vaporizers. Um, patches were widely available. So was the gum. Um, but there was something, there's something about it is, is, is Dr. Richard Selzer, 
said in his uh, in his uh, mortal lessons, notes on the arts of surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "Smoking is an announcement that I am here." The same way whistling is a way of saying I'm here, or a lady putting on her perfume is an, a demand to acknowledge the soul. Oh wow! And R- Richard Selzer is, you know, famous for. Uh, winning the National Magazine Writing Award for his uh, contributions to Esquire, including his uh, agnostic Yale Medical School uh, professor's opinion on why abortion is an absolute travesty and the equivalent mm. of infanticide. So we've fallen a, a long way since uh, mm. 1974, when you know the tobacco tobacco smoking rate was about you know 50 50 percent. And now we have a, a youth culture that is about 6% uh, has ever even experimented with cigarettes. And what, what's yeah. funny about that is despite the decline in overall tobacco use, uh, the Marine Corps has found in its recruiting yep. that 80% of enlisted Marines tried tobacco. That remains true for everybody. And what, what is our elite solution to this? The uh, actual department IG uh, recommended, well, we should stop recruiting cigarette smokers. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll, 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 we'll deplete the Marine Corps amid a recruitment crisis. It's very funny to see yep. the way the elite is pivoting. It's, you know, let, let's yep. recruit through video games, uh, not, uh, not the guys who have a memento mori rebellious attitude. It's, it's very funny. Yeah. No, and it also speaks to the fact that like this generation or the upcoming generations are like really risk averse. Like really this um this cult of health, this cult of well-being turns into like we want to avoid anything that's uncomfortable, anything that's unclean, anything that's risky, that puts us in front of the fact that we are gonna die. And even before that, that every day we face the death drive, the drive to violence, sinfulness, like there are always gonna be reminders of death and finitude and destruction and cigarettes are a very clear sign of that. So, and you also see that in like the anti-military mentality that like, not that war is anything awesome, but this idea that, you know, instead of us protecting the country, like let's turn to these technocratic elites to create a utopia for us that no one has to do anything that's out of our comfort zone or that puts us at risk. Well, that, that reflects a, a mentality that is all about longevity. Longevity yeah. is the motivating factor in the billionaire eating salmon. And it's increasingly becoming the mentality of the entire broader society where you think the number of years you spend here on earth are matter more than any sense of duty or any sense of, any sense of contribution to society. And it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if longevity was the end all be all, then John Bassalone wasted his life when he went back and died on Iwo Jima, one uh, after winning the Medal of Honor and getting the chance to escape World War II. Uh, that's the concept behind this whole mentality is longevity is the ultimate good. It doesn't matter how you spend it because there's no such thing as eternity in a materialist worldview. So you only have here. So the only value that matters is longevity. And if anything threatens longevity, mm-hmm. we saw this during the lockdowns, we see this in the anti-tobacco hysteria, then we have to extinguish it. 
And the way to get a non-judgmental populace to turn against the class, when increasingly we're calling on them to embrace all kinds of libertinism, is to say that that person's habit threatens your longevity. We see it with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. We see it with the anti-smoking campaign. America was fine with a live and let live smoking section, non-smoking section. And it was really only until the anti-tobacco zealots uh, fudged the research and started showing, uh, you know, selectively that your tobacco habit threatens longevity of those around you, that America became, uh, started to accept the idea that no, never mind. It's, it's not enough to have some smoking bars and some non-smoking bars, some smoking sections, non-smoking sections. We have to get rid of it completely. And during COVID times, that actually uh, came back to bite them because uh, the, the free market, and I have my criticisms there, but the free market responded when New York City banned uh, to indoor tobacco use in bars. They okay. responded by creating uh, new air filtration systems that could clean out a dive bar in six minutes flat wow. and basically started embracing hospital technology. And Bloomberg, as a former smoker who are Judas is all around, uh, uh, said, no, we won't make exceptions if somebody goes out and buys this machine. Um, but, you know, we sure could have used it 20 years later when a respiratory uh, plague yep. sent it upon the globe. Yeah, and I, I, the class difference is interesting because you see there's this very elitist, technocratic understanding of purity, which is totally foreign to, especially to working class, to ethnic immigrant groups, non-suburban groups, like uh, this understanding of cleanliness is like, again, it's so detached from reality, at least people living like in a concretely in the real world. And I think so. it's interesting in the other article you wrote about the loss of these smoking um, bars and restaurants, you mentioned that one of them was replaced by a Shake Shack and then there's the Whole Foods down the block. So you get this sense that like, Oh, you're creating this landscape that in theory is um, you very idyllic or utopian, but in reality is suffocating, it suffocates the human, especially again, people, working class, ethnic, whatever groups. Yeah, the, the 34 Club in St. Louis. Yeah. This is a place where a union welder could go hang out with Hall of Fame baseball players and they, they tore it down for a shake shack and uh, a bunch of multi-use apartments. Um, rest in peace, 34 Club. It was uh, one of the best bars I've ever been to. So what areas would, okay, yeah. So like, where would you be certain that if you light up, people are gonna give you a look or give you a comment? I'm curious to know. Uh, so outside of church, um, <laughs> well, uh, and it's very funny. I, I remember once posing the question to, uh, uh, in confession, I think I'm allowed to uh, to say what the priest said in confession, or yeah, you can. Canon lawyer on here. Um, now I, I just want to make sure I'm not breaking the seal. But um, but I I went to confession before mass, and the priest said, you know, step up today with no fear, receive. And I, it was a great way to guilt trip me into going to mass. Um, I, I intended to head straight back to the office. Um, he got me. I was like, all right. That's great. And then I went, oh, Father, I, I smoked a cigarette 
um, before I walked in here today. And, I thought you were going to uh, say in the church. No, no, not in the church. Oh, not in the church. Exciting. And I, I said, does that break the fast? And he goes, that doesn't break the fast. Oh, no, you're fine. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I was so relieved. Um, Did it break the fast to breathe in incense during mass? No, it's fine. Yes, but this is something that's durable. Um, now, st I, I, I still do try to not have my cigarette an hour before mass. That's very holy. Um, no, it's, 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 it's not holy, it's scrupulous. But, um, okay. you know, but, but it's also one of those things where, you know, this is one of those uh, tiny sacrifices you offer up to the Lord. Yeah. And, hmm. and but, you know, that means when I come out of mass, I really want a cigarette. Uh, hmm. So, you know, I'll light up my, I think the dirty look comes from my wife uh, more than anything else. You know, but, but this speaks to the, the generational thing mm -hmm. that, uh, that you were getting to before is my daughter came home from her first day of kindergarten and told me I shouldn't smoke. Yeah. And I'm sitting there like, your teacher should teach you how to read. You can't read yet. How, how did you pick it up this quickly? Like, that's how much they're yeah. drilling this into them. I've and seen kids like cigarettes. grab cigarettes out of their parents' hands. Oh my God. Yeah. Them. yeah. No, no, the easiest way to fix that is to put it out on their foreheads. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I have all girls. I would never do that. Um, if I had a son, though, right on his forehead. That's okay. Uh, he'll make it look cool. He'll have a story. Uh, but but this this speaks to you know the generational problem where this is the first thing we teach the kids when they they walk in, and then con conservatives. You know, I, I go to a very conservative parish. Um, there are conservatives out there who will go like. Don't don't smoke in front of the kids. Well, <laughs> it depends which kind. Are they neocons or paleocons? <laughs> well, I said Catholic. Um, which is to say, uh, it's a mix of both. Um, wait, wait, wait. Ethnically, what is the what kind of parish is it predominantly? Irish. Irish are scandalized by smoking outside the church. Mostly the wives. Mm, okay, because I know. Well, well he, here's the other thing: is yeah. the uh, the the first country to spearhead Michael Bloomberg's New York City plan was Ireland. Of course it was I, Ireland. I, I, flew, I flew into Ireland in 03 and was unable to smoke indoors. Mm. They let me drink indoors um, well, in the pubs at, you know, seven, or I guess I was 16 at the time. But I, 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 I would go under without that. But so that, it, it's one of those funny things, you know, uh, technocratic liberalism wants to create a divide between you and your children. Um, they want, they want, they instruct the kids to go home and smack their cigarettes yeah. out of their, their parents' hands. But, but even more than that, I mean, you know, you wouldn't expect children to, who have been taught, you know, respect your elders to start criticizing adults about anything. That's a sign of dysfunction in a society, in a healthy society, which mm -hmm. we do not have. Uh, but in this one regard, uh, random kids will stop riding their scooters on the sidewalk, look at me and go, you should put that out. Are you that, strangers, strangers, kids. Yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, it, it's a marvel to, to see how effective that propaganda. Is. Yeah. I'm going to start calling them Jojo rabbits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. So side story about smoking inside churches. There's, I have a, a nonfiction and then a fictional. So one servant of God, Carmen Hernandez, um, who's on her way to being beatified. She was visiting John Paul II in 
there is, I think like, it was a meeting room, but there's also a chapel in there. And before JP2 comes in, she asks one of the priests, is Jesus in the tabernacle? And he's like, no, it's empty. So then she lit up and started smoking in this chapel. And then John- I don't have to genuflect. Yeah, so John <laughs> Paul came in and he was like, who told you she could do that? And she was like, I don't care if Jesus isn't in the tabernacle. No one's gonna stop me. Yeah, yeah. this might and as well be the post office. Yeah, so that's one. And then it was, what's his name? Titus Bransma? No. Who's the- uh... Recently canonized? He was he was canonized. I he was can yeah yeah the same pope that uh that banned the sale of tobacco in Vatican City. Yeah, how can we forget? Canonized, uh, the patron of smoke. The most scandalous. Catholic like journalism. Papacy, yeah. Um, no, it was okay. F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote this short story called "Thanks for the Light." Do you know it? I do not. It's awesome. It's so basically this woman has a cigarette and she doesn't have a lighter and she's looking everywhere for a lighter, and then she ends up in a Catholic church and decides to sit in front of a Mary statue and pray. And then she falls asleep. And then when she wakes up, her cigarette is lit. And she's like, thanks for the light, Mary. It's You're kidding. Story. Oh it's my gosh, I, cannot, I, I have his correspondence in the book. I'm, I'm sure he got some letters from some people. Yeah, that one was awesome. But yeah, but in terms of smoking outside churches, that's always interesting because yeah, like I see when I'm in like, working class ethnic neighborhood like certain parts of Brooklyn it's very normal right after mass everybody lights up especially like I know a lot of Italians like straight up from Italy who like everybody will smoke at I mean they're constantly smoking anyway but no but like if you're in a suburban area or certain parts of Manhattan like yeah you'll get death stares um people people have come up to me on the streets in certain neighborhoods and told me like you're gonna die that's bad like adults will tell me that. <laughs> yeah I'm like yeah uh, you're gonna die too yeah so uh, will you ditto i wouldn't mind dying soon because then i can go to heaven and won't have to deal with people like you so <laughs> i never said that i want to no 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 we don't want to be we don't want to be that uncharitable no yeah but uh, so the neighborhood so in jersey the neighborhoods where you can still smoke outside at restaurants in newark they'll um not only do they not have a problem they'll bring you ashtrays um super common also bronx little italy of course of course the bronx will that's where the mcmorris clan uh resides from okay that makes sense then every yeah. rapper uh, from the bronx you ever heard about getting arrested in the aughts that was my cousin oh well mm, police I, I tried to tell him <laughs> oh. but uh yeah so the neighborhood's like yeah, like inner city, ethnic neighborhoods, immigrant neighborhoods, like totally normal. I remember, I said this in the article that I wrote, I was at a cafe and I won't name which one, but it was in the um, West Village, claims to be a quote unquote Italian, authentic Italian cafe. Um, I was drinking a cappuccino and what else do you do with your cappuccino but smoke a cigarette? So I lit up while I was sitting there outside, I wasn't inside. And then the tourists sitting around me like, uh, 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 and then the waitress comes out and she's like, excuse me, sir, can you step into the street? And I'm like, I can't even go on the sidewalk to finish it. And you yeah. call this an authentic Italian cafe. <laughs> so Italians aren't welcome here, obviously, but this is lower Manhattan. So I should have known. Well, I, this speaks to one thing that's uh, disappointing to me is the, the acquiescence is the, the signs in every Otis elevator 
in the United States still says if you smoke a cigarette in this elevator, it's a fine of twenty five dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's funny. If I do it in the bar, it's going to cost me like five hundred bucks. Yeah. The fact that we acquiesced so quickly. Once we gave up the elevator, it was only a matter of time before mm. we lost the patio. And w- w- with outdoor dining, v- Virginia actually reached a uh, reached a detente. We we didn't have a smoking ban here, and I monitored this from afar because uh, the reason there are so many uh, cigarette beats under my byline at the Spectator is because I'm notoriously late on deadlines. Mm-hmm. So when they need something quick, they're like, Bill, write about smoking. And 24 hours, uh, it's up on the website or ready for the magazine. Yeah. But, but when, when COVID hit, uh, when COVID hit, all of a sudden the smoking patio has disappeared. It's like, no, now that everyone's outdoor dining, you have been banned from the patio as well. Uh, the, the cigarette ban happened in Virginia because of the Great Recession. Mm. Virginia was a deep red state yeah. and then as soon as the great recession and obama was the democratic nominee they elected a democratic governor in order to clean house and address the recession his first piece of legislation he passed was to ban smoking except yeah. except in the international airport because uh china flies into our international mm-hmm. airport and china famously smokes so and Obama unfamously smokes, according yes. to you. I did not know this. No, Obama was smoking in the Rose Garden. Wow. Yeah, Obama, the, the man who oversaw the increase in tobacco prices for the first time in history, made them pay taxes uh, uh, for grunts in the military that he was sending into war zones, was himself a smoker. Wow. How much are Marlboros down there? So Marlboro's down here, your Marlboro lights. Uh, Carton, as of January 1, went from, when I moved here, it was about 40, which is insane because that's what I was paying in Connecticut, the bluest of states, uh, when I started smoking. But when I moved here in 2011, it was $40 a carton for uh, Marlboro Special Blends. It was $50 a carton for Marlboro Lights. And now the special blends are about, uh, about 60 to 70. The lights are resolutely about 80. Okay. And, and we're in the midst of Joe Biden, who owes his, owes his election to black voters in South Carolina, is about to ban menthol cigarettes. Mm. And what I find so interesting about this is the fact that when... Uh, George W. Bush actually first countenanced, uh, and well, the Democratic Congress under George W. Bush first countenanced a menthol ban because they were uh-huh. they, they banned all flavors in the legislation that was eventually signed by Barack Obama in 09. But while they were drafting it, uh, that was put on the shelf because Al Sharpton joined forces with Rush Limbaugh to say oh, that no. to ban menthols was anti-black discrimination. That's good job, Reverend Al. Yeah, and the, the way that is portrayed today, uh, when they're trying to ban, when Joe Biden is trying to ban menthols, is um, for far too long. Not banning menthols was tantamount to lynching, and that oh. is how that is how they're selling today. Um, you know, it's a, it's white supremacy to have menthol cigarettes, um, rather than what what Al Sharpton wisely realized uh, 15 years ago. 
which is, oh man, they're trying to take away something to take the sting off of our life under systematic oppression. I'm like, eh, all right, Al. That's a point. Uh, he's not wrong there. Hmm. Yeah, but with, um, no, I was going to say with the airports. First, the fact that they still have the Nautilus smoking signs on airplanes after all these years, I find to be a little extra. But um, every airport I've been in outside the U.S. has little smoking booths, like the little glass. Yeah, we don't have that. Uh, Last one I saw was in Cincinnati. Okay. Because uh, 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 the Cincinnati airport is right on the border of Kentucky. Okay. It, 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 it's one of those funny things where Cincinnati was once the beacon of hope uh, for freedom, you know, mm-hmm. across the Ohio River from Kentucky. Yep. Underground Railroad complete. And now uh, that bridge that connects Kentucky to Cincinnati is full of a bunch of smokers heading mm-hmm. over to uh, go smoking. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in Southern Europe, where I trace my roots, most countries you can still smoke inside. In Greece, you can smoke inside pretty much everywhere because that's all we do. Drink coffee, smoke. That's partially why the economy is falling apart. No, there. that's not true. That's not true. You guys also uh, install illegal pools and then lie about it on your tax forms. Oh, well, we can add that to the list of things we do. But that's pretty much it. We no civilization. Uh... Yeah, well, we did that. <laughs> I mean, that, that gives us a pass. We don't have to do anything else. So, and yeah, at least we're allowed to smoke inside there. Um, when I went to the Holy Land, in Palestinian territory, you can smoke indoors. Israeli territory, you cannot because I'm not going to say why, but you can. I'm not going to touch that one. Yeah. It's interesting, though, at least in Europe, that they're not as anti smoking, and yet they have the little pictures and warnings the giant ones on the packages some of them are very creative i have to give them credit like you have like the open lungs bleeding and there was one in greece that was warning of erectile dysfunction and you have like a naked guy looking down very sadly because of his ed so that that's hilarious i i have five children folks so there's no way that uh that's true yeah, that's good um, to know. i'll keep that in mind but i i will say the when I started smoking, the New York Post did a great piece about um, Canada being the first North American country to adopt European style skull and crossbones mm-hmm. um, type warnings on the labels. And by the time I had uh, really committed to smoking, um, I saw one of the ads and it was uh, a cigarette burned all the way down to the filter, ash still intact, mm. uh, but hanging limply and uh, smoking causes. And I was like, give that man an award. Cause had I known as a teenage boy, maybe I wouldn't have uh, That's great. started. Um, but yeah. now that I'm a, a grown man and I know better, um, <laughs> worth it. Wow, that's a great advertisement. Yeah, a, a great yeah. advertisement. Very uh, creative. But the, that's the thing, we're, we're only allowed to advertise one way now. Mm. You know, the, the Truth yeah. Initiative got started only because the judge ordered in the tobacco settlement. Uh, tobacco companies surrender 300, like 60, I think it was 358 billion dollars uh, to the state and local governments and the federal government. And uh, one of the ways they had to use that was to counteract advertising. Mm-hmm. Because the, the state 
should, which has a monopoly, near monopoly these days, on the education of your children and will tell them day one, instead of their ABCs, will tell them smoking is bad for you. Yep. Um, they need an ad campaign too. So they can get creative. But in, yeah. in, in Europe, the much to your point, uh, which I have derailed, but in Europe, they accept the, everyone forgets, pre-tobacco settlement. Everyone thinks it was uh, the movie The Insider where some brave tobacco worker comes forward and says, we knew it was going to hook everybody. That wasn't the turning point. Big Tobacco won every lawsuit every government entity brought against them because they said every smoker knew what they were getting into because we've known the Encyclopedia Britannica in like 1912 said that smoking causes cancer. We all knew that was enough for big tobacco. And that's the mentality Europe has today where they just say, well, if you're a smoker, you know, that's, that's a vice that's only going to hurt you. O only in America did it take hold that my cigarette was going to murder your child. Mm -hmm. my they, uh, actually, the, this, the tobacco is the only instance in which liberals will acknowledge that there's life inside the womb. They're like, hey, if a mother smokes, oh, uh -oh. that hurt the baby. <laughs> Wait, did you just say baby? I meant fetus. That if she uh, wanted to murder. Now. Um, yeah. Oh, it's a territory. Yeah. Now, I think it's interesting, though, that what you're saying, that they'll have the giant advertisements in Europe, but like, they don't care. They leave it at that. A real, a real diversity, multi, uh, you know, pluralism. I would say real tolerance you can always count on the Southern Europeans for that. Um, but yeah, let's make our way into the vaping and jewels, um, starting with the Philip Morris experience you had fascinating article, very entertaining. So what was it like visiting that office there? It was Philip Morris for people still think Philip Morris is some Virginia company. Uh, in protest of the tobacco settlement, they said, forget you guys, we are fleeing to Switzerland. Famously tolerant Switzerland. And they spun off Marlboro, everything to a company called Altria. So Philip Morris is actually um, way committed to vaporizers and to smoking alternatives, which they sell as hey, this is a new Philip Morris. We're not denying that smoking is bad anymore. We care about our customers. When really it's becoming obvious that they care about the money. Yeah. Now, here, here's the thing to understand about capitalists is I am way more devoted to the product than the capitalist is. Mm -hmm. And I am now a minority of the average consumer. So Philip Morris would way prefer you to vape than he would to smoke a cigarette mm -hmm. because he's addicted to your dollars. So they invented a, a new vaporizing device based on heat not burn technology that heats up the innards of a cigarette. And honestly, the menthol, not that bad. And I'm, I'm wondering if Biden is regretting uh, trying to go forward with menthol ban, considering how much it will hinder quitting efforts through this technology. But 
that's that's another story. But this corporation doesn't care how it gets your money from your wallet. They they don't care if it's through Chinese antifreeze or tobacco. In fact, Chinese antifreeze requires less workers. So, hey, a generation, four generations now of corporations committed to labor arbitrage would probably much prefer that you not you not trust the farmer and you only trust the chemist. Yep. So when I look at our post-tobacco world and our post-tobacco Philip Morris, I, I see it the same way you see our elites saying, hey, I know you guys all like burgers, but have you considered vegan burgers beyond meat? They're invented in a lab. Mm. This is the escape from reality that you were referring to earlier. We will use chemistry so that we will get the taste of a burger without a burger. Yep. We will use chemistry. You know, just seven guys in a lab mixing some stuff together in order to escape tobacco. And that this is, we will use chemistry to free women from childbirth. This is an experiment done society-wide and I've, I've never written anything serious. All my tobacco articles are tongue in cheek. I, yeah. I love them all. Which makes but, them entertaining. But, you know, now that I'm sitting here with the philosopher and you've made me think about them, um, it, it really does make me scared that this is not a, this is part and parcel. You would expect Philip Morris to rage against the fight of nature. And instead, yeah. you get Philip Morris going, no, no, this is great because it's cheaper to do the antifreeze option. We just got to pay a few chemical engineers. Yeah, and it also, I mean, just to go on an anti-capitalist tirade for a second, it shows capitalism's true colors because it really is the idolatry of something artificial, something man-made so that, you know, like you said, the commitment is not to the quality of the product, the experience, the effect that it has on the soul, it's money. And at the end of the day, like if money becomes the center, then we become very much detached from our humanity, from reality. And I think now we're starting to see, and I, like, I'm just saying this because uh, at least for religious folk who love to defend capitalism, it's like, sure, a modified version with you know, a strong moral religious kind of foundation, but at the end of the day in itself, it's, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe for like a wasp, for a, a Protestant kind of understanding of Christianity, sure. But like a sacramental understanding, there's nothing sacramental about that kind of system. And now we see that. Yeah, I, you know, I've yet to encounter a plastic chalice. I have in evangelical churches. Oh, well, I'm a chalice. Well, I don't go there. Little uh, the, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I've yet to see a, a plastic container with the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our wow. Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, actually, I do have a, uh, a gift from our Pentecostal neighbors of, they call it a sacrament cup. Yep. I don't know that. Yeah. Um, um, I, I do have to ask though. So in the Jewel and Biden article, you say that it's mostly these liber young libertarians and Democrats, um, yes. who are vaping. Um, why do you say that? I'm not sure if I see that. Uh, th that's my experience in DC. That's your experience. Yeah. Um, okay. 
I see, yeah, because I see a lot more people, like I'm seeing a lot more working class, again, ethnic immigrant groups vaping now, especially like in bars and clubs and some restaurants. Well, it's a, well what do they do on the patio afterwards? Some are vaping. Some are vaping. I'm seeing, yeah, I'm seeing more and more. Like I'm seeing people who would smoke or who used to smoke vaping. And that's not just like young libertarians. All right, All right. so yeah, yeah. I call out libertarians and Democrats, not because Republicans don't smoke um, and not because conservatives don't smoke and not, uh, or I'm sorry, vape. And not because Catholics don't vape. The Catholics who vape in DC are always ashamed of it. Yeah, like- Conservatives, yeah. the people who vape. And you know, you will recall in that article, I specified exactly what vapes I was talking about, um, where their BAC will hit a certain level and they will go, I remember college, this smells so much better than my vape, please give me a cigarette. Mm. Then on their bicycle commutes the next day, fake a cough. Go <coughs> <laughs> and that is, that is the difference. Yeah. And I can I can say as I puff on this vape right here, um, which is not a jewel, it's a puff plus, it's disposable, it's even more um, lack of commitment. No, I mean, I see, you know, I am one of those people who's ashamed of it. I, because my whole history- Lack of commitment. Yeah, there's, because there's no commitment, the whole- Hey, I'm dating this single mom, but I'm never going to marry her. Yeah. That's I'm what just, that screams. This reflects the cultural- the mentality, though, um, the risk averse thing. But no, I started on hookah. I first smoked hookah and I really enjoyed it. And then I found hookah pens and I was like, hey, this is a hookah that I can bring with me. And then I tried cigarettes and I was like, oh, but this is a whole other thing. And then I went back, I would go back and forth between hookah pens and cigarettes. And then there was a point, I don't remember why, I got off the hookah pens. I guess, no, because I read an article about popcorn lung. And I didn't want that. I'd rather have cancer than popcorn lung. What is popcorn lung? Popcorn lung, apparently whatever's in here makes the blood vessels start to like bubble up. I don't know what's going to do to me, but I got scared for a second. Put it down for maybe. Antifreeze. Yeah, the antifreeze. I think I went off of it for three or four years. And then... No, it was, I went to a concert once, they started doing them after COVID and I needed something to smoke inside the concert. So I bought the vape and then I just kept going until Lent this year when I went back on the cigarettes completely. And I have to say like totally changed my spiritual life because ultimately yeah, it's like, there is no commitment to it. You could do it anywhere. You could do it in bed. You could do it in a restaurant and like, I don't know. It's like you just you feel like you become a blob. You feel like everything, everything's vaporous then when you're smoking it, unlike the cigarette, which you have to commit, you have to go outside and you're gonna smell and you have to burn it and has a limited amount of smoke in it. Whereas the vape, you can just keep going and going and going and nothing's gonna stop you. So I don't know. I I'll do it once in a while now, but like I see the effect that it has on just like my sense of reality the spiritual realm and i'm definitely not proud of it in any way that that's actually eye-opening can can you speak to that because well one of the things that i noticed uh and one of my problems when my friends would try to get me to quit smoking and say hey try my vape was um was i coughed every time i vaped 
I, I coughed every time I vaped because there was nothing that triggered, uh, there was nothing that triggered me to stop pulling. Okay, interesting. Now, whereas when I'm inhaling a cigarette, as I just did, I I can feel it on my tonsils, and I go up. Oh, time to inhale. That's the end of the drag. Whereas when you're when you're vaping, yeah. I always sat there and would go, oh, that's weird. There, it tastes like fruit, and you know, I don't feel a burn. And then I would go to exhale and, you know, embarrass myself. Yeah, no, I mean, but but that but that points to the chase that you're saying. Yeah. Hey, uh, never be satisfied. Never, never feel. Uh, and, and this is what Richard Selzer said in his mm -hmm. book: is you know the diaphragm uh, diaphragm controls your cigarette intake. Yeah, and it seems like the the vape does not do that. Um, no. no, and I like I I really think it's super symbolic. Chase. Yeah, no, it's like I think it's very symbolic of the postmodern mentality or like the liquid modern experience because again like there's there's no tie to anything real like it's a technologically produced product it's not coming from the earth it's not coming from god but again the fact that there's no limitation it's like you get the buzz and then you just can just keep going 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 yeah so it's like but it makes it's to the point that it makes your whole experience of reality like liquid like nothing is fixed anymore nothing involves your commitment um there's no memento mori afterwards. Yeah, no. There's be assured no. of its safety. Yeah, yeah, same way a condom can exactly make you assured that hey, you could get AIDS, but you won't have a baby. Okay. And I, you know, that that is that is one of those things where <clears throat> you see this in the you see this in, in markets all over the place. Mm -hmm. where, where you know now they're selling. I, I just saw these pop up on the shelves of our grocery stores is pre-mixed crown royal and colas oh no hey hey it's it's, it's just gonna be a sweet thing it's the, the seltzer craze it oh, is no. it, it's we will we will mask the death causing agent yeah and that way you won't even think about death as you are consuming it even though it's based on the same principle as that bud heavy that that bowling league guy yeah yeah we, uh, mm. gosh i mean yeah vaporizers actually you know gave the green light to the alcohol industry to go hey let, let's mask yeah the taste of alcohol by throwing seltzer in it. yeah and all sorts of you know hey that this is what this is what forest is supposed to smell like we're all uh, uh, an air freshener market Yes. Whereas, you know, in days of yore, Marlboro Red was Marlboro Red. You knew it would hurt more. Marlboro Light is Marlboro Light. Marlboro Select is a uh, Marlboro Light tobacco that fell on the ground. That's why it's ten dollars less a carton. Yeah. No, and like I, I'll dare to say that, in the same way that the cigarette grounds you in reality, grounds you in the fact that yes, you're gonna die the drive for pleasure is risky, but like it also points you to this kind of tension with the transcendent towards some ultimate fulfillment. I do think that the vape has, because it separates you from reality, it doesn't ground you, like does possess more of this dark, dare I say, demonic element. Um, 
a little a little freaky but i i, I don't know i do feel it and especially well, yeah. the fact that that technology was so quickly adopted you know that the technology develops on materialist grounds we will fulfill your nicotine yeah. needs and then is immediately adopted into mind-altering drugs yeah. point you to something I'm going to say demonic, but... Yeah, something, something. Oh, wait, this isn't a video podcast. My wink uh, was uncaptured. They take a drag. Um, Now, the worst thing, though, the most dark experience is when you're in bed, vaping, checking Instagram, scrolling through Instagram while simultaneously watching Netflix. That's like the darkest I've ever been at, and it's bad. All right, so I don't have Instagram. I have, uh, it's owned by Facebook. Yeah, I have Facebook. Yeah. Um, I go onto it once a year to see which of my friends have died. Oh, that's useful. And then when none of them have died, I kick over a garbage can and say, I'll see you fuckers next year. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Instagram is worse, though. It's more demonic than Facebook because, I mean, the image-oriented thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I I have daughters. I, I, I know not to let them on there. Oh, no, please. Which is not as bad as TikTok, though. TikTok is... No, t- TikTok is a Chinese spy operation. Um, so... Yeah. Oh, I just remember the thing I was going to say. We, yes. We, we disguise alcohol with uh, sweetness, and we disguise THC with brownies. And then people end up eating 50 brownies. Like, it, it's very funny how, how snack culture has become our mm-hmm. way of yeah. uh, escaping reality. Yeah. Anything, anything but, and, and it comes from the same or, you know, organic types where, you know, yeah. oh, I, I only shop at Whole Foods and I only buy my weed brownies from X, Y, and Z person. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, it's, it's wild. Yeah. I think the, the real lesson to be learned from all of this is anti the anti-tobacco campaign was the actual first triumph of social liberalism mm-hmm. and that became the playbook for everything else we have seen since then uh john Staden, uh you know n- neurologist from Duke University wrote a great book talking about how all of the research that funded secondhand smoke was completely full from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he's a non-smoker. He doesn't have any opinion on any smoking legislation, but what he said was smoking is a personal health decision but the only way to get it banned was to make it a public one. And by the time he wrote this, I think it was 2014, tobacco had already been eliminated or restricted in almost every state. But when when people realized that they could make a public health claim about a private decision. That's when everything changed. 
you know, all of a sudden Prop 8 wasn't about the institution of marriage anymore. Mm-hmm. It was about, hey, people kill themselves, transgender surgery. People kill themselves based on your opinions. Uh, mm-hmm. The smoking debate has actually fueled every single cultural debate we have had since then. Everything that's branded a social issue, the left has used the anti-smoking playbook to say, no, 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 your opinion does not just apply to you anymore. You can't have a different definition of marriage. If you have that definition of marriage, teenagers will die. If you have that definition of gender, people will die. It is an yeah. emotional manipulation campaign, not grounded in science, but wearing its clothing. And mm. I think people should contemplate this every time we see any cultural debate moving forward. So even if you're not a smoker here today, consider the thing that you hold most dear will someday be attacked using the same playbook that was used to attack me. I thought you were going to say you should consider to start smoking. But oh, no, 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 no. So because they're going to use that uh, tactic against you, start smoking. Good point. Exactly. That, Thank you for, uh, for doing the joke for me. Crap. <laughs> um, but no, it's a real thing. Not a joke. That's true. It's true. It's happening. Well, with that having been said, thank you for coming on, Billy. Um, what are you going to plug before we go? Fort Hunt softball. Mm. My daughters are really good at uh, Fort Hunt softball. But also, I'm um, academic director at uh, the National Journalism Center. So, if you want, if you have uh, college students who are interested in learning uh, journalism that actually looks at facts instead of advancing narratives, please send them my way. Awesome. And where can they follow you? They can follow me at F Bill McMorris on Twitter.com. And, and every follower I get off this podcast will uh, discover what the F stands for, because that is not my name. I thought you were going to offer them a free pack, but Ooh. that's a no, good idea. No, no, that, that's expensive, man. I just told you how much it costs. Well, if you buy duty-free, it can save a lot. Actually, when I went to cover TED Talks, duty-free, $70 when you're coming back from Canada. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I saved a couple hundred through duty-free, but... Thank you for coming on. This was fun. Fun is a word for it. Thank you so much for having me and tolerating me. Yes.